I'm going to ask for your grace this morning. You might notice that my voice is a little different, kind of leaning towards Barry White a little bit. I was sick last week, most of the week. Um, feel a whole lot better, just don't sound like I feel a whole lot better. Um, Trey had a little bit of it, you might have heard just a touch in his voice, but he did a whole lot better than I'm doing right now. Um, it's kind of going around, so I'm hopefully going to make it all the way through. You would think with my voice like this that I'd give you a shorter sermon. It's not going to happen. I do want to begin today by talking about a lady that no matter what you might think of the 41st and 43rd presidents, she has quite a bit of respect from both sides of the aisle. Uh, Barbara Bush passed away this past Tuesday, as many of you know, and in reading some things about her life, there were a number of quotes of things she did um, that I want to share with you this morning. Um, they are pertinent to the sermon. Um, this is not just to respect her life, although I feel good doing that as well, um, but they do connect to what I want to say this morning. Um, one of the things that was true of her is she enjoyed life, and she encouraged others to do the same. This is a quote from her. Early on, I made a choice, which I hope you will make as well. Whether you are talking about education, career, or service, you are talking about life. And life really must have joy. It is supposed to be fun. One of the reasons I made the most important decision in my life to marry George Bush, and then this is a speech, and in the speech there's an ellipsis because there were applause at that point, which is important in a moment, is because he made me laugh. It's true, sometimes we laugh through our tears, but that shared laughter has been our strongest, one of our strongest bonds. Find the joy in life, because as Ferris Bueller said on his day off, Life moves pretty fast. You don't stop and look around once in a while, you're going to miss it. That also got big applause, which at the end of that she then said, I'm not going to tell George you clapped more for Ferris than you did for George. <laughs> she also used her influence for change. Again, in a speech she gave to college graduates, she said, the first is to believe in something larger than yourself, to get involved in some of the big ideas of our time. I chose literacy because I honestly believe that if more people could read, write, and comprehend, we would be that much closer to solving many of the problems that plague our nation and our society. And she fought hard for literacy for years. But she also fought for some other things. In 1989, Barbara Bush went to a Washington hospice where there were infants who had been abandoned because they had the AIDS virus. And so many people at that point still believed that by touching or even being around somebody, you would get the disease, you would get the virus. The first lady held these children, hugged them, and loved on them for all the world to see. She used her influence for good. There was also a wisdom. She said to those same college students that one of her own choices 
that she constantly encouraged others to make is to cherish your human connections, your relationships with family and friends. For several years, you've had impressed upon you, she said, the importance to your career of dedication and hard work, and of course, that is true. But as important as your obligations as a doctor, lawyer, or business leader will be, you are a human being first. And those human connections with spouses, children, friends, they are the most important investments you will ever make. Because at the end of your life, you will never regret not having passed one more test, not winning one more verdict, or not closing one more deal. You will regret time not spent with a husband, a child, a friend, a parent. And she lived by those words. She met George Bush when she was 17. He was 18. Two years later, they were married. And the couple stayed married for 73 years. The longest presidential couple in history. And this is what she said just one year ago. George Bush has given me the world. He's the best, thoughtful and loving. And I love this. I am still old and still in love with the man I married 72 years ago. But, and this is where we will start moving towards my sermon, I wanted you to get a flavor for her because she also had some she did not take herself or her family more seriously than she ought. And for a woman who had a husband and a son as the president of the United States, that's saying something. Um, when her son Jeb was running for the Republican presidential nomination in 2016, she said this, there are other people out there that are very qualified, and we've had enough Bushes. While speaking in an elementary school, just like this one, in 1991, as the conflict was coming up in the Persian Gulf, she said this of George Bush, you may think the president is all-powerful, but he is not. He needs a lot of guidance from the Lord. And sitting here this morning in our own elementary school, in April of 2018, I think we'd all agree. No matter where we are, no matter what our profession, our authority, our stage of life, we need guidance from the Lord. And like our president, despite the fact that our decisions may not have national or world impact, they do impact us. They impact our families. They impact the people around us. And we need guidance from the Lord. What a joy it is this morning that Jesus says to us, I am the good shepherd. If you have your Bibles, open them to John chapter 10, where we are going to look at Jesus saying, I am the good shepherd. And if you know what shepherds do, they guide. Would you pray with me? Gracious Heavenly Father, we ask for you to open your word to us. Let our minds and hearts be ready to receive, God. 
that we might be transformed to be more like Jesus and to follow more our good shepherd. And it's in his name that we ask it. Amen. So this morning, I want to explore what it means for him to be the good shepherd, and then I want to ask the question, what does it mean for us that he is the good shepherd? The good shepherd, John chapter 10, beginning in verse 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. As I read this passage, I am reminded of something that pervades our culture. Many of us have a hard time trusting. We've been let down far too many times. People have lied to us, especially leaders. We've been told at times that we are important, but then we've been shown we really are not. Whether you are talking about political leaders that say one thing but demonstrate something else, whether you are talking about leaders of companies who speak in te of terms of family and team and yet act in very selfish ways, or whether you're talking even about friends or family or the church, where words of concern and love and acceptance are expressed, and yet, for some reason, other things seem to take precedence. We have all felt the hired hand that Jesus describes here, even as they did. In their context, the hired hand were the religious leaders. They were the pastors of the day that were supposed to be caring for the flock. Isn't that what pastors are supposed to do? Care for the flock. But they cared more about them than they did about the flock. They cared more about how they were viewed than how the flock were taken care of. And so Jesus called them hired hands. And, and that kind of interaction leads to a distrust. It leads to skepticism. Have you ever been skeptic? I mean, our culture is filled with it. All of us go through it. We are probably, we probably expect someone to let us down more often than to actually fulfill something for us. At default, that is sometimes our, expect, our expectation. But here's Jesus saying, I am not like what you are used to. I am not a hired hand. I am not one who cares more about myself than the sheep. In fact, I am the opposite. I care so much about you, I'm willing to give my life. I'm willing to lay it down. I am not what you are used to. I am not the, the political leader. I am not the religious leader. I am not the family member. I am not the friend who has let you down, who has said one thing and then not followed through with it. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, which we'll get to in a moment, and I lay down my life for my sheep. And so he continues, verse 14, I am the good shepherd. I know my own, 
and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. I am not only not a hired hand, but I know you. In fact, I know you as the Father knows the Son. Think about that. Let me just let that sink in for a second. How well does the Father know the Son? That's how well He knows you. He knows you better than you know you. He knows those things about you that you don't want to be true about you. He knows those things about you that you hide from other people. And you hide them because you don't want to be rejected. And at times you have revealed something and it's been used against you. And so there's things that all of us, how many of us at times wear a mask? We just don't reveal it all. And yet Jesus says, I know my own. I love this story. There was a, an Indian theologian named D.T. Niles, and he tells the story of meeting a young Indian shepherd boy keeping his flock. And he stopped and he asked the boy, looking over all of them, because he was a young boy, he said, how many sheep do you have? Think of my own kids who can, like, they can't even keep track of an iPad. Here's this young boy with all these sheep. And the boy says, I don't know, I can't count. And Niles asked him, well, how do you know if some of the sheep haven't wandered off? I mean, once you get to the place where you're going to rest for the night and you're inviting them all in, how do you know they didn't leave? And the boy answered, I don't know how many wander off, but I do know each one. I can't count, but each sheep has a name, and I know each name. You are not a number to God. You're not one more in the giant flock of Christianity. You're an individual with a name that he knows, with a life that he knows, and he knows every single thing about it. And you know what? It doesn't give him pause. He doesn't have second thoughts. When he finds out those weird idiosyncrasies that you have, that weird habit that you can't get rid of, that weird thing you wish you could change about yourself, or even the really good that you don't really get to share much with other people, but it's there. He knows all of it, and none of it makes him go, I'm not sure about that one. He still lays down his life for you because he is the good shepherd, the good shepherd who is fully committed. Read on with me. Verse 16, I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd, and for this reason the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have the authority to lay it down, and I have the authority to take it up again. 
This charge I received from my father. Have you ever had a good intention and a bad follow-through? Ever been an issue? I mean, and not just with New Year's resolutions. I mean, we moved into our home like three weeks ago, and I've already failed multiple times to have follow-through. I'm like, all right, every day I'm going to put something away. Yesterday was the first day I put something away. I mean, the follow-through is terrible. As parents, have you ever done this? Ever walked in, your kid has done something really bad, and you're like, oh, that's it. You do not get to watch TV for three weeks. Oh, my goodness, why did I do that? I didn't even want to follow through with that. And I'm not going to. But in my anger, I just said it. In so many ways, we don't follow through. Can I tell you that Jesus, as the good shepherd, always follows through? I mean, to the point of, I mean, listen to this. He has the authority to lay his life down, to die, and the authority to raise it back up again. There is nothing he cannot do. He is committed to you, not just in this life, but beyond the grave. He is committed to you for eternity. And he has perfect follow-through. That's the good shepherd. The good shepherd. He is not a hired hand. He is one absolutely committed to the flock. He knows the flock, and he still lays down his life for the flock. That is the good shepherd. Now, here is the problem with that message. Problem is, that information is not enough. My hope is as you listen to that brief explanation on the good shepherd, you think, that is wonderful. That is awesome. That's beautiful. But that is not enough. You see, in this passage, when we get to verse 19, something happens, and it needs to happen this morning. There was, again, a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, he has a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? Others said, these are not the words of one who was oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? You see, something has to be done with these words. I have a question for you this morning. I am pretty sure that most of us in this room, probably not all, but most of us in this room believe in Jesus. But the question is, do you believe Jesus? And those two things are very different. Right? Let me tell you who believes in Jesus. Right? Many Jews who are not Christians believe in Jesus. They believe he is a teacher with many disciples who worked miracles and claimed to be Messiah at one point. In Islam, Muslims believe in Jesus. He is a prophet to be revered, born of a virgin, a wise man who did miracles, who even ascended into heaven and will return, but under Muhammad. Hinduism believes in Jesus, a holy man, a wise teacher, and a God. Buddhism believes in Jesus, an enlightened man, a wise teacher, a holy man. 
Literally, the majority of the human race believes in Jesus. But most of them don't believe Jesus. They believe he existed, and they've decided certain things are true about him. But that will not change your life. Believing in him is not enough. We have to believe him, that he is the good shepherd. And here's what I think happens in a lot of Christianity, and it happens with me. I know, sadly, there are times in my life where I believe in Jesus, but I'm not believing Jesus. And I think I might change a few of Jesus' categories. He called himself the good shepherd. I think I might say some things like this. I am the good investment banker, and I expect Jesus to do certain things with my money, with my finances, with how comfortable I am in life. Or, I am the good defense lawyer. I expect God to constantly be taking my side, to take my agenda and to see things my way and defend it that way. Or, I am the good plumber. We expect God to fix all of our If you didn't figure it out, you can ask me later. I just don't want to say it from the pulpit. All the mess that we make, all the stuff that we cram down the pipes, all the things that we mess up and we expect him to come by and fix them. Or, and I think this is just, I don't know, so second nature. I am the good auto mechanic. We expect God to tune up our lives and make them run smoothly. Make them run well. Just going down that road, no problems. I want him to be my good auto mechanic. The problem is, he didn't say he was those things. He said, I am the good shepherd. A man named Rob Tucker, he wrote a book, and he is colorblind, and he tells this story. He said, when I was a kid, I used to look at the magic eye in the newspaper. Remember the magic eye thing? You stare out for a while, and then an image comes out of it. He says, do you remember that? The colorful image where you had to gaze at it long enough until the picture emerged. Problem was, I used to get so frustrated at the magic eye, I could never see the image. And people would say, there, you see it? Hey, it's a duck. Or see right there, it's a rocket ship. All I could see was a green blurry shadow. Years later, I found out I was colorblind. And what most people don't realize about colorblindness is that it's not the absence of colors for most people. Colorblind people just see the colors differently than everyone else. Hence, they could never see a magic eye because they're focused on the wrong colors. Can I tell you, if you're focused on Jesus being something other than what he actually is, you're not going to see the picture. You're not going to see what he has for your life. Instead, you're going to be upset. You're going to get bitter at times. You're going to wonder, where is God? Instead of, I mean, okay, I talked about all these things that are the good shepherd, um, which is a beautiful image, and I'm going to read Psalm 23 in a minute. But instead of peace, 
Instead of walking by a still water, instead of coming to green pasture, what are we doing? God, why aren't you making this right? God, why aren't you pulling me out of this? God, why is this happening still? God, why didn't I get that job? Because we are forcing our agenda onto him and not seeing the actual picture. And, and this is going to take me a moment, but I thought it was worth it because it makes the point. Um, this isn't true. This is a joke, right? Don't go look this up on Snopes because it's not there. It's not true. A shepherd was looking after his sheep one day on a deserted road when suddenly a brand new Porsche screeched up to a halt and the driver jumped out wearing an Armini suit, a cardin tie, and Ray-Ban sunglasses. And he said to the shepherd, if I could tell you how many sheep you have, will you give me one of them? The shepherd looked at the man and said, okay. So the man parks the car off the side of the road, connects his laptop, enters the NASA Webstar, scans the ground using his GPS, opens a database with 60 Excel tables filled with logarithms and pivot tables, and then prints out a 150-page report on his high-tech mini printer. He turns to the shepherd and said, you have exactly 1,586 sheep. The shepherd boy went, wow, that's correct. You can have your sheep. So the young man takes an animal, puts it on the back of his Porsche, And just as the man is about to drive off, the shepherd asks him, if I can guess your profession, will you give me my animal back? Sure, why not? Shepherd says, you're an IT consultant. How did you know that? Very simple, the shepherd said. First, you charged me a fee to tell me something I already know. And seconds, you don't understand anything about my business. Now, please give me my dog back. (laughs) Can I read to you the business of the shepherd? That this is what he wants for our life? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. How many of us want regularly? He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. How many of you need your soul restored? He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. And even though, hey, hear this, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, notice the shepherd didn't remove everything. He didn't just make it all right. Even if I'm in the valley of the shadow of death, I still will fear no evil. For you are with me, you are my shepherd, your rod and your staff. Here's my shepherd, and he's walking through this same valley with me. And you know what? Far too often, instead of that shepherd's crook, instead of that staff, that rod, I'm looking up 
And again, I'm, I'm looking for the wrench. Why aren't you fixing my life? You don't even have the right tool. Yeah, it's because I'm not a plumber. I'm not an auto mechanic. I'm a shepherd. I'm offering you something so much bigger because, okay, we have an older house now, and, and here's what we've already learned. Things fall apart. And you know what? Even when you fix one thing over here, something over here falls apart. And sometimes the actual thing that you fixed then falls apart, and you have to get it fixed again because that's life. And you know what? If he were a plumber or a mechanic and he had a wrench, all he'd be doing is fixing our lives. He wants something so much more than that. He says, when you look at me and you're going through the valley, I have a staff. I'm a shepherd. I want to give you peace. I want you to know I'm here. I want you to be looking at me. I want you to recognize that anything you go through, I still know you. I still follow through my promises. You're still mine. I am your shepherd, and I'm leading you somewhere. And here's the thing, guys. Sheep do not go, especially in Israel, they do not go from pasture to pasture to pasture to pasture because it's an arid place. And there are times where the shepherd has to take the sheep for hours before they finally reach the destination. What happens when we won't make the journey? Because we want the pasture right now. Give me that still water at this moment. And he's saying, no, look at my staff and follow me because I'm taking you there. I am taking you there, and I'm never going to leave you. We have this little dog, um, hopefully enough for not much longer. Um, for the little dog's sake, not ours, for the little dog's sake, I know how you all think I view animals. I don't know why you think that. But our little dog is very much afraid of men and boys, males in general. Well, in our home, there are three males, two females, and another male on the way. And so this poor little dog is scared all the time. I mean, she just like runs around, and every time she sees a boy or me, she's like, ah, the other direction. And here's the thing. It's been really nice outside recently, and so we've had our dogs in the backyard a lot, enjoying that outdoors. I open the door. The lab, of course, is like, oh, let me in, finally. I can go lay down and do nothing. This little dog, she stands there and looks at me. And then she shakes a little. <laughs> so I close the door, and I wait. Then she comes up. Bark, 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 bark. I open up the door. She looks at me. And she shakes a little bit. And I'm like, do you not understand? I know it's scary. I know I'm big and I could step on you at any moment. And I know every once in a while, we don't see you. <laughs> but most of the time, most of the time, I am carrying this little dog around and like, here's your food. Let me take you over to Erin because you actually like her or Kira, either one of them. Lay with them. I mean, I'm like totally trying to take care of this dog. All she sees is what she's afraid of. Like the door is standing wide open. And I'm like, please, I know it's scary, but trust me, walk in. I've got green pasture for you right here. 
but you've got to make those steps. That's our shepherd. Make those steps. Look at the staff. Look at what the shepherd is offering to his people. Because there's a life under the good shepherd that is the life of Psalm 23. I shall not want. My soul is being restored and renewed even as I'm going through the valley of the shadow of death. My encouragement for you this week is to go read Psalm 23 a few times. Meditate on it. Think on it. I've gotten to the point where I walk into challenging situations 